and peace to you this morning from God our Father. It's my privilege to uh, come and preach God's word to you. My name is Paul Rees and I'm the senior pastor here. Uh, Last week we looked at the topic of family and uh, Keith put this into my hand. Uh, I had lots of questions from people this last week about uh, parenting and uh, this is a great little Bible study that um, if you have kids you might want to think about doing as a couple. Uh, Family becoming the parents God wants you to be. It says on the back £5, but you can take it for £3 today. I think there's about eight copies of these left downstairs. So if you want to think a bit more about parenting, what the Bible has to say, more than even what we looked at in Colossians, then this would be a great little study to take away and do together. The alarm will go off again tomorrow morning. And another week of work will begin. Why do you work? Why do you work? I mean, about a third of our lives is spent in the world of work. It's just a huge part of our lives. And so I wonder, what motivates you in your work life? And how, as Christians, should we think about work? Well, what does God have to say about it? Well, let's open our Bibles back to the book of Colossians, page uh, 1184. Uh, We are working through this letter, and uh, we're in the sort of the real practical outworking of all the glorious truth that Paul has been teaching in the book of Colossians. We've been seeing in chapter 3 that the fundamental relationship that the Christian, uh, that defines the Christian's life is that they're united with Christ. In the opening chapter, we've learned how we've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son that God loves. We live as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're a people who've been redeemed by this King. He went and shed his own blood on the cross so that we who were guilty sinners could be forgiven and reconciled to God. And it is that fundamental relationship with Christ that just shapes everything in this book. This is a book that's to urge people, just as they started by putting their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, they should continue in him, they should stay rooted in him. And we've been thinking about these deep roots of what it means to be in Christ as it comes to our relationships. Our relationships with Christ then lead us to our relationships with each other in church. And then we considered last week the relationships in the household with uh, uh, husband, wife, children and parents. So let's read as as we continue that section from uh, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong 
will be repaid for his wrong. And there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. This is God's word. Just keep your Bibles open. Now initially this may not look as if it's the most relevant thing for us today. But back in the first century AD, this was very relevant. Uh, The teaching here fits under this teaching for the households because most larger households would have had slaves in it. Uh, The economy of the first century uh, Roman world was built upon slavery. Slaves would come from all sorts of different uh, nationalities. It was very different to the sort of slavery that we think of of the African slave trade of the 17th and the 18th century. It was estimated that a third of the Roman Empire were enslaved. And so all sorts of jobs were done by slaves. Household jobs to farming and business, uh, military, medical. Uh, People would sell themselves into slavery as the last line of dealing with debts. um, With the expectation that after a number of years they would be able to buy their way back into uh, freedom that they would be released after a certain number of years. And I would imagine that as this letter was uh, first read out in the church in Colossae, you would have sensed an increased tension when we got to these particular verses. Because we know the name of one particular slave, Onesimus, and his master, Philemon. It's very likely that the church in Colossae met in Philemon's house. And everyone would have remembered the day when Onesimus, the slave, ran away from the household, not to be seen for months and months and months. But there he was, in church, in Philemon's house. Everyone's looking at him. He's back. How do we know all this? Well, because he had two letters. Onesimus, as we're going to see in the coming verses, he brought this uh, general letter to the church, but he had another letter which he brought, which was a personal letter to uh, Philemon, his uh, slave master. And that's in the New Testament, so you can read that. It's going to be a rainy afternoon. If there's nothing else that interests you, why don't you read Philemon? And you can read the rest of the story. It seems that Onesimus became a Christian, And Paul sends him back to his slave master. But you can imagine, it was quite a dramatic Sunday as we got to these particular verses. Slaves, everyone's looking at Onesimus. Obey your masters and everything. Ah. Now, I don't think in a room like this we probably have um, anybody who's a slave owner or anybody who works as a slave. You just feel like it, some of you, don't you? But I think if this is God's word to slaves in the first century then I believe it can teach us principles that relate to our modern work situations as people who voluntarily choose to enter into employment contracts where actually we get paid to do certain services for the bosses. And if there's one big idea that we need to remember as Christians in the workplace, it is this, to remember who we are working for. Remember who you're working for. Who do you work for? Is there a particular person that's popping into your head right now? A line manager, a business owner, 
a CEO, a head teacher? Is there someone that you can think of that's your boss? Well, my Christian friends, here's a revolutionary thought. As Christians, we ultimately work for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that we serve. We've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness. We've been brought into the kingdom of the Son that God loves. And therefore, all of our life is lived to serve King Jesus. No less so when you go to work. So there's two points we need to consider this morning. First of all, slaves serve Christ. Verse 22, slaves obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the, for the Lord. So having a life united with Christ Jesus by faith, it just changes everything, isn't it? And it gives you a new attitude to your work. There's a new obedience. The command is clear, isn't it? Obey your earthly masters in everything. When a slave became a Christian, it did not overthrow their responsibility to work hard for their master. If anything, it called the slave to a higher standard of service. Their obedience to commands should not just be when their master was about, but also when he wasn't. There's, there's two great uh, words in the original Greek language here. Not to, mer- to work with mere eye service as people pleasers. Uh, the slaves were called to go about doing their assigned tasks with a focused, consistent concentration, a sincerity of heart, whether their earthly masters were watching them, doing it merely for eye service, as people pleasers, whether the master was watching them or not, it wouldn't matter. They would be working consistently, doing, fulfilling their master's wishes in the household. And that sort of focus comes from understanding who you are ultimately serving. If you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ, then whether your earthly boss is there or not is a kind of irrelevance. Obey your earthly masters in everything with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Is this not a transformational thought as you head into work tomorrow? See, we don't simply um, come to church to meet with Jesus and serve him on, uh, on a Sunday by doing Sunday school or doing welcoming in the door or serving tea and coffee uh, and then leave and leave him behind. No, actually, we go into work tomorrow to meet with the Lord Jesus Christ. And there we get to worship him. We get to love him and serve him and honor him in the way we go about our work. Now, is that not a revolutionary thought? He's there in our schools. He's there in our medical practice. He's there in the shop. He's there in the factory. He's there in the mail depot. He's there in the office. He's there in the care home. Whether you work as a mother, a plumber, a politician, a cleaner, the Lord Jesus is there with you. And of course, whether the work is paid or voluntary, it doesn't matter. Paul is speaking to slaves who weren't getting paid. Our work matters to King Jesus. And this is a wonderful transformational thought that whatever I do, I'm doing it for him. Look at verse 23. 
whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. If you sit in front of a screen, that would be a great screensaver, wouldn't it? To pop up every now and again, to remind you who you're working for. It's so easy to forget this, isn't it? Uh, No doubt in plenty of offices and workplaces this week, someone's going to mutter, look busy, the boss is about. In fact, I was looking uh, this week, there's a number of uh, computer games that you can actually buy for your work machine that looks like office applications. So even when your boss is looking over your shoulder, it looks like you're doing a spreadsheet. But for the Christian who understands who their real boss is, then we would not just be looking to do the least amount possible while holding on to our jobs, but actually work with as much energy, diligence, and excellence that we can manage. And notice too that for the Christian, the reward is something bigger than the pay packet. Working for the Lord, not for men, verse 23 into verse 24, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Now remember the context. It's an incredible promise for slaves, isn't it? Who receive no reward for their work apart from perhaps shelter and food from their master. As they, as they engaged in obeying their earthly masters, they would know that their hard work would receive a reward from their heavenly Lord. They would receive an inheritance. The commendation of King Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant, or could be translated slave, is the opportunity for all who work faithfully for Jesus. Do you know we have a king who delights to reward the least thing? Even a cup of cold water does not go unnoticed by this king. And so in all uh, the lawful ways that we work hard for our bosses at work, with a heart that's doing it for the Lord and not simply for men, we're actually accruing a heavenly reward that will not fade, this verse says. Now the final part of verse 24 is either a statement as the NIV has translated it, it is the Lord Christ you are serving, but could also be translated as a command, serve the Lord Christ. Now this is just a little casual way. If you take into account the Old Testament background that was read to us earlier from Deuteronomy chapter 10, who are we to serve? We're to serve the Lord God. Here's a little casual aside that when we're serving Jesus, we're talking about the one who is God. Serve the Lord Christ. But this is, uh, I think, a helpful stir to us when we see it as a command. It is a command to us as Christians, serve the Lord Christ in our workplaces. See, as part of this sinful world, we are tempted, are we not, uh, to do the least amount of work for the most amount of cash. We are tempted to waste time, to be distracted, and goof around. And, and, or maybe that's just me. Um, And so I think this command actually makes good sense in the context. Don't be like that. Serve the Lord Christ. Work is not something simply to be endured until the weekend. But our work life is a part of God's mandate to us to to rule over the earth, to live productive lives that advance what is good and promote flourishing in this world. We need to go into work 
this week as Christians with this command. Serve the Lord Christ. He's actually calling on us to do good and promote what is right in the world. To work in such a way that we advance and show love for our neighbors. Knowing that we will answer to Jesus for wrongdoing. Look at verse 25. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. And there is no favoritism. So the Christian worker goes into work actually with an internal ethical framework. I'm serving the Lord Christ. I'm serving the Lord Christ who shows no favoritism. I can't count on my relationship with Jesus, so allow me to ignore the rules. To do what is wrong. Because our conduct matters to Jesus. Um, This king always does the right thing. Is just. And so I'm to be one who does the right thing and pursues justice in my workplace. Whatever I work this week, we're serving Christ. Do you have to clean the toilets this week? Is that one of your jobs? Do you have to clean the toilets? Get the shopping? Weed the garden? Or maybe you have to operate on a patient? Maybe you're teaching children? Maybe you're putting out fires? Maybe you're policing to main law and order? Maybe you're clothes washing? Well, guess what? You are serving Christ as you do that. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Every area of life comes under his lordship. It just transforms the way we think about life. Worship is not just what we do here. Worship is the whole of our lives and it includes our work lives. Slaves are to serve Christ. But here's another revolutionary thought in this text. Christian masters are also to serve Christ. Masters, remember your master. Look at chapter 4 verse 1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. Because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Now the New Testament never endorses slavery, but neither does it come out to call for its abolition. And there's some great articles and books you can read about that if you want to investigate that. But do you see how subtly subversive these verses are to the whole institution of slavery? First off the bat, slaves are addressed um, as responsible Christian people. They're in the same church as their masters. Secondly, masters are reminded that they are also slaves. These lords of their household themselves have a lord. They are to conduct themselves with this constant knowledge that though they are earthly masters, they have a heavenly master to which they are subject. And again, because their heavenly master is righteous and fair, they also need to provide justice and fairness to their slaves. And so I think um, if that's true of uh, slave masters, I think that has something to say to business owners and employers who are Christians. What's the temptation for employers? Well, it's to seek to treat their workforce as slaves, to get them to do the most amount of work for the least amount of pay, to demand more than than they pay for, to, to pay less than is due. For the business owner, he's tempted to 
cut corners, do deals to uh, increase the profit margin. And uh, maybe those corner cuttings aren't necessarily the right thing. Well, then the command of verse 24 needs to also be heard. Serve the Lord Christ. Who is your business for? Well, the Christian understands this. Their business is for Christ. It's the Lord Christ that they're serving. Now, the modern um, world of work will be uh, a very, well, it's a very difficult ethical place, isn't it? Just read the papers. There's so many ethical, tough choices out there. Uh, How do you be a Christian in the world of investment banking? That's an interesting question. Uh, Christians in medicine, medical research, management of hospitals with constrained budgets, Pharmacology companies, teaching, politics, sport, they are so full of many gray areas today which makes it difficult places for Christians. And we need to help each other to think through these issues of work. You know, there are great, there are great um, resources that can help us. We've got the London Institute of Contemporary uh, Christianity website. I would recommend that to you. There's some great materials there. The Jubilee Center produced something called the Cambridge Papers that are very good. Uh, Many of the professional uh, groupings have um, Christian fellowships and and they've done a lot of hard thinking like the Christian Medical Fellowship or the Christian Lawyer Fellowship and so forth and, and you can get good resources there. But here is a profound principle that shapes all our responses. Who do you work for? It is the Lord Christ. You are serving. So serve the Lord Christ this week. Whatever work we do, that should be the number one priority. Uh, And the second, that we work to love our neighbor by pursuing what is good in the world. Now, there's so many ways that we probably need to think this out today. Uh, but I, I want to invite a couple of friends up here to give some thoughts, uh, the two Tims. I've asked uh, the two Tims to give some top tips. Top tips from Tims. Uh, who wants to start us off? Well, uh, uh, Tim Purvis is going to give us some top tips about being a good employer. Thank you, Tim. Yep, here you go. I think um, the first thing I have to start off by saying is I don't always get this right. Let me just start by saying that. But I am striving to follow Christ in the workplace as much as I am in other aspects of my life. I think when you're um, running a business, there is certain things that you just won't do um, when you're a Christian. And for me, that's, that's a big thing. So it's the integrity side of things. Paul's mentioned there not conforming to some of the shady deals that might go on. Um, there might be things that are within the letter of the law, but they're not actually morally or ethically right. Um, we've seen and heard about Google and Facebook and the sort of deals that they've been doing with their taxes recently. And I think that's the same for, for me and my business. Simple things like paying suppliers on time as well. I am obviously seeking to, to follow Christ's example. I know that there are some business leader friends of mine who are not Christians who look at me and think some of the stuff I do is crazy they look at me and think why are you not cutting these corners why are you not doing these things 
But I think that they notice what I actually stand for as well. I'm constantly striving to care for the staff needs. And again, I make mistakes with that. Um, but I try to keep their best interests at the, at the core of what we do. And that means obviously a fair wage. But it's more than that. It's the spiritual needs as well. Um, because of my position at work, I'm able to do things like run a Christianity Explored course. I can make that decision. I don't have to sort of go through someone else and ask if we can do that. And that's the sort of thing that we do. Um, I can allow time for staff to actually attend that. It's not something I have to, um, or staff have to um, sort of go and ask their employer about. I can, I can allow that to happen so that people can do that. At, at my work as well, we seek to have very much a Christian ethos in, in everything that we do. Um, and Paul has sort of brought out about Jesus Christ's example about being a, a servant leader. Um, Mark chapter 10 verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And I also try to lead by example as well in everything that I do. 1 Peter 5.3 says, Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. We have some staff meetings at work where we actually open with a passage of scripture and we do a, a, a short prayer before we start. Um, I think also I know that I have a social responsibility for those that are less fortunate than myself as well. And we don't say a lot in my work. We don't externally say a lot about this. But we actually do um, have a charitable giving policy where we give and support people locally, nationally, and internationally. We give a percentage of our profits each year away. And I know that some of the staff look at me, and some of my business colleagues look at me, and some of my friends who run businesses look at me and think, why are you doing that? Take all the profits for yourself, or give it to the staff, or whatever. But I think we have a social responsibility for them as well. I think the biggest thing, though, is for me, um, Obviously, I can do it on a Sunday and not do it during the week. For me, there's a number of my colleagues who actually attend at the chapel here. And um, they would see me every day and they would see if I'm not doing it. Now, as I've said, I don't do it every day. I do fail. There are times when I do fail. But you can't just live it on a Sunday and not do it during the week. And so that's what I'm striving to do as well. So. Okay. Paul's asked me to say something about being a Christian employee at work. And like the other Tim, I can't say that I've got this cracked. Far from it. It's a work in progress, but it's an important issue. It's easy to be, or easy-ish, to be a Christian on a Sunday, but not so easy on a Monday morning. So here are ten top tips from me on how to be a good Christian employee and a positive Christian witness at work in no particular order. Number one, do what you do with excellence and with integrity. Be the person at work that your colleagues or your manager can rely on to do a really good job. Remember, remember what we've learned this morning from Colossians. We should serve our employer as we would serve Christ. So for me, I try and be the best surveyor that I can at my work. Secondly, Honour God by working hard to provide value both to your employer and to your customers. Do your best with the resources under your care. Arrive early at work and for meetings. Be organised. Listen attentively. Offer help. Take initiatives. Make suggestions. Have a servant heart. 
Make your word good. Be reliable and dependable. Do what you say you will do and do it well in a timely and cost-effective way. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says we're to do everything for God's glory, to God's glory. Number three, remember you are Christ's ambassadors, so our daily lives must win the respect of others, including those who are our line managers. So avoid gossip and negative speech. Be the first to acknowledge your mistakes. Ask for forgiveness, make amends, and forgive others. Represent Christ by going to work with enthusiasm, joy, and a sense of God's calling. Stand up for what's right and demonstrate honesty and other core values. Four, respect your boss or your line manager, even if they're unappreciative, unfair, or downright unpleasant. Why? Because God tells us uh, in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, that's the attitude we ought to have, and it can be hard. Five, be aware that how you respond to difficulties at work Maybe potential redundancy situations, being passed over for promotion, having a bullying boss. These may be the most effective opportunities you have for evangelism. People will notice that you respond differently to how they might expect, which is a great opportunity to share how you seek to live a Christian life. James tells us in his letter to consider it pure joy when we experience trials such as these. And that is definitely not the response to difficulties that you might see at work uh, for those who are not Christians. Six, seek to be content at your place of work and avoid expressing dissatisfaction or complaining. Paul says to the church at Philippi that he's learned to be content in whatever circumstances he is in. And he says to do everything without complaining. That should be us. Seven, pray. Make it a daily habit as you go to work to ask God to help you to see your work as a mission field. God does call people, Christians, into full-time ministry positions, but he calls even more Christians into the workday world to be salt and light. And we need wisdom to know how not to be so zealous in our proselytizing that we're sacked or considered a bit of a jerk or on the other hand to be so subtle or nuanced in our witness that our efforts are imperceptible to anyone so pray each day as you go to work for God's help eight seek to build good friendships take a sincere interest in your colleagues have concern for their lives outside of work Be considerate. Look for good in them. Encourage them. Where appropriate, why not tell others that you're praying for them? Remember Christ's teaching that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. Uh, And why not get to know folk better by perhaps inviting them uh, off-site for a coffee or a sandwich? That, in my experience, can lead to more open conversations that you might be able to have in your office over the water cooler. Nine. Refuse to play down or hide the importance of your faith. Where it fits naturally into a conversation, talk about the role that your church, prayer, the Bible, the Christian community fits in your life, has in your life. And in my experience, this has quite often arisen at times like annual appraisals or at promotion opportunities. Ten, 
if you can, form a prayer partnership with another Christian who you can meet with uh, to discuss your efforts to be salt and light in your workplace. Try to link up with other Christians in your line of work or in your place of work. So for me as a surveyor, uh, I'm involved or associated with an organization called Christians in Property. For you, it might be something different. All of this may sound hard, but God's promise in his word is that he will honor those who honor him. And having been an employee, never an employer, uh, for the past 36 years or so, I can confirm that God has been very faithful to me as I've sought, albeit very falteringly, most of the time, to be, to be obedient to him and to his word. Thank you. Thanks, David. What, what keeps you focused on serving Christ in your work life? What helps maintain? I mean, those are great points. The, the MP3 will be there. You can listen to it again. But what helps you maintain that focus? I think knowing that the eye of God is on you at all times. Uh, you're never uh, not being uh, watched by our Heavenly Father. Yeah. Uh, and I may not be watched by you or by other Christians, uh, but God's eyes on me. And so I seek to do what I do. And, and my colleagues' eyes are on me too. Yeah. And if they know that I'm a Christian, their expectation will be, I think, that I, I do behave in certain ways and I need to make sure that I do. Okay, thanks, Tim. Tim, just tell us briefly, what, what is your business? So um, I have a funeral director's business. Uh, okay. How many employees do you have? Um, so, well, we're based primarily in Edinburgh, but we have some branches in um, the borders and also some in Northumberland, and I have about 100 staff. Okay, that's a lot. So how can we um, support each other to be Christ-honoring, ethical people in this sort of complex world, do you think? It's a good question, that one. Um, I think probably top of the list is to pray for each other. Um, pray, for, pray for your leaders. Pray for your, your bosses at work. Um, I think for people who are leaders of companies to have accountability. Now, within my organization, there's um, five of us who are directors of the company, and we're all Christians, so we can hold each other accountable. If you're running your own business and you don't have that, I would encourage you to maybe um, link up with other business owners who, who, who are Christians and, and form a sort of friendship with them, have, have sort of that accountability with them yeah. as well. And probably lastly, I would say as well, is encourage your boss, encourage your leaders if they're doing it well. Um, I know from myself, from my own point of view, that I've had that at times, and it, it is a real blessing mm-hmm. um, to know that, that you are doing, a, 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 at times, a good job. So. Tim's top 10 tips. Thank you very much. The start of Colossians begins with this prayer that we would know the will of God so that we would know how to please the Lord in our lives. And that includes our work lives. And uh, let me just put this prayer up on the screen. Let me pray this for us. Uh, whatever context we have this week. We're all going to be called to some sort of work. Even the retired people will probably be doing some sort of work this week, even if it's not paid. Uh, Let's join in this prayer together. Heavenly Father, we we ask that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, as we grow in our knowledge of you. And God's people said, Amen.
Well, our closing song puts our eyes on this extraordinary king whom we serve.